0: Welcome to a Chris got a haircut episode of connect this (laughs) and starting now uh, we're going to do the professional version we're going to do it for real here and so I'm going to give people a sense of what our agenda is we're going to do the intros we're going to roll into a peekaboo and we're going to we're going to keep it tight we're going to keep it hot it's going to be great and um, so that's what you should expect today. Um we're going to we got a couple of quick news items. We got a cool picture. Um we are going to talk about broadband prices a little bit. What's happening in that department. Uh we're going to talk about the 10-day rule that uh the FCC has for uh telling the the national broadband data collection that you can provide service. You're supposed to be able to provide service within 10 days. Talk about that a little bit. Uh we're probably going to skip over go quickly about letter of credit related stuff for BEAD. Uh, we're going to talk about whether we should limit the number of isps on an open access networks perhaps uh we're gonna find out if we should even care about li-fi um and then talk a little bit about acp and here's the coup de gras: this is the reason that you want to either stick around or just turn it off for a half hour and then come back if you don't have enough the full day to give us <laughs> and that's we're gonna talk about whether um travis why travis would rather be the water department than the internet access department because last week on the community broadband bits podcast i made a claim that it was easier to do water uh it's easier to do internet access than water and travis is saying whoa there buddy so we're going to talk about that ah people that we're going to be talking to about it are our usual crew we got doug dawson from ccg consulting welcome back I'm the professional sisere today, and I don't believe we're gonna ever remain
1: professional the entire time, that's my prediction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say you're going out on a limb there, it's a pretty thick <laughs> <laughs> uh, We got Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber rocking the, the fire engine red glasses.
2: Um, I am very excited to be here and I have an announcement. Um, my broadband besties uh, birthday is today, Bob Knight. So happy birthday to him uh, wherever he is on vacation. <laughs> So, but nice to be here. Excellent. Yes. Bob joined
0: us for a live show. We got to get Bob on here more often. He's fun. Mm-hmm. He knows his stuff and, uh, and he'd be a great addition, uh, to, to fill in, you know, um, mm-hmm. cause we can't just have 10 people on every show. Although I'm willing to give it a try once, uh, our, our longtime co-host, Travis Carter, CEO, USI fiber here in Minneapolis, there in Minneapolis. Uh, welcome. Good day, Mr. Mitchell. I'm, you know, not only did you get a
3: haircut, but you left your door open. That's a first. on our Yeah, show. I'm home
0: alone. I've uh, never seen
3: the other side of the door and there's something moving. I didn't know if it was your child or something.
0: No, I'm uh, I'm here alone except for uh, two old eagles who uh, will be mostly on the couch napping and until they see a squirrel about 20 minutes from now, probably, and freak out and I have to go on mute. So um, nice.
3: how have you been? Are you going to go to Fiber Connect?
0: Uh, that's what we're talking about. I'm pretty sure we're going to make an appearance there. So I got to okay. say, I mean, Orlando at the end of August, I, August is a heavy travel month for me. Uh, it's not something I'm super looking forward to. I was really hoping to catch my breath at the end of the month. So um, I'm, I'm planning on it. I'm really looking forward to Mountain Connect. Uh, I'm going to see Kim there. Uh, that's in two weeks. And that's going to be really cool there in Denver. Uh, and then we got fiber connect, uh, two weeks after that, I guess. So, um, likely going to be there. And then, um, we got the fiber broadband association is coming to Minneapolis in October. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a plea that I'm hoping to be a part of it. Uh, but I'll probably have to leave around noon to get to a tribal broadband boot camp out, uh, about, uh, eight hours West of here. So, um, wow.
2: Chris is kind of a big deal in case anybody gonna didn't speak. know. He's kind mm-hmm. of a big deal.
0: Huge deal. Huge. Yeah. So, you know. You know, yeah, you got to book the king early. Is what uh, is what I'm. Um, that's what I'm saying. I don't know.
3: You know, I, I think there's a conspiracy here, though. Ever since you've lost the four or five chicken wing contests we've had, you've been out of
1: town the whole time. So you know. That's so he
0: never has to buy chicken.
3: wings. I, I don't think he's going to pay up ever, huh? Uh, uh,
0: I think you've canceled at least one of the last ten times that we've had to cancel a date. So
3: well, fair <laughs> enough. Yes, that's probably true. I think I got oh. the Rona right, so that I couldn't go. So. <laughs> So
0: we have a peekaboo. I'm going to share my screen sque- screen here. I was walking around the neighborhood. We actually have several of these it's been my bad for not doing them. Rise collected some really great ones. Uh, but this is one that I just found in my neighborhood. And so we're just popping it up here. Uh, this is a CenturyLink cabinet that uh, I was surprised was hanging open. And uh, apparently, according to Doug, not rare to find one of these cabinets filled up with fiber and... Uh, um, I don't even know. I, I don't know exactly what I'm looking at here. It doesn't look like it's particularly well organized. Those hooks on the upper right are supposed to be for organizing the fiber. I'm guessing, right? It's not
1: organized at all. Look at that mess. That's you know, that's that's just a snake's nest. It, yeah, that this is a company who doesn't care about quality. I mean, you don't have anything like that that you Travis. Mm,
3: not quite this bad, but you know, to
0: me. I'm impressed they have that many customers.
1: So well, so well, you don't know how big of an area it covers.
0: They haven't turned oh, really? on my street yet. I don't even know how long this may have been there for a while. I'm not sure if it's new or old. But I, I'm in kind of an island that had been abandoned by CenturyLink, and uh, the people around me had it. So, I mean, i sure pretty new. Pond, or- they
1: could they could serve people for 12 miles away. Yeah. It's probably not that far, but it's not. This is not a truly local cabinet.
2: and I don't. Think and so. and I bet uh, the technicians really love working. Um, and in the cold temperatures in that cabinet in the middle of winter oh, yes. too. Oh,
1: yeah. Especially
2: when the snow's inside of it. Yeah.
0: Well that's what that's what you were saying, Doug, is that like these are often left open. You get all kinds of snow and, and moisture in there. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Travis Spiders,
1: you said- birds, I mean, once it's open you can get anything, you know, bee nest. And a Chris was, Mitchell, a Chris Mitchell is yeah, there, Chris Mitchell. You never know. That's, that's one of the that's one of the worst pests there is.
0: <laughs> I was waiting for a, I was waiting for a neighbor to be like, "Hey, you, what are you doing there?"
1: No, probably her neighbor going, "Hey, my fiber's out. Could you fix it?" That's yeah. what I
0: thought. You were doing. So this this is a cabinet. Does this this doesn't have electricity? This is not an active cabinet, right?
1: No, this is not. This is a this is just a pond patch panel. Yes. Yeah. So
0: they bring in some like uh, some fiber from afar, and this is where they they split. It out to uh more uh, yeah some users. of the
1: fibers here are coming in and then each one of those they can either go to 32 or 64 knowing century like they go to 64 um customers yeah so
3: there Once was fiber not in, there was a door on the other side was there chris
0: no there was not okay there is a vault underneath it yep yes uh travis you don't have any cabinets like this right No, no. We do more of a central
3: office design. You know, we've got a building in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. that all the fibers come into. I don't know. Kim, what do you guys do?
2: That's for the most part what we have as well. Uh, In the beginning of the network deployment, there is some cabinets that are out there and we have a, we, but we have very select few of them, but mostly we do the same central office. Because yeah, the central office, office in the is med- way cleaner. Yeah, it's way yeah and it's easier in the winter, and to get in for maintenance and all of the things, it's just easier.
1: Yeah, and we Chris, Mitchell, and Chris Mitchell can't get into it
2: either. So. <laughs> we started we with ha- and retired those pretty quick. We, we have had one that in an area that we weren't deploying for a long time when we were in the beginning stages, that I think that there were babies created in that uh, central uh, mm-hmm. office. So there should be a utopia baby somewhere out there that was probably a teenager having um, some beer cans. It was in one of our old cities that we shut down back in the old days. And when we went back to it, there were beer cans and all kinds of paraphernalia when we went to build out the area. You'll have to do
1: a
0: search because
1: they probably named it
0: Utopia. It's probably. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, moving on to our first topic, (laughs) uh, Bountiful. Uh, Kim, you got an update for us. What's going on in
2: Bountiful, uh, Utah? It looks like that uh, we are just proceeding. I got. I went to New Mexico last weekend for a little vacation, and when I got off the plane, I heard from the city manager who said, "Can you review this before it goes out?" And it was a press release that stated that there they have counted the votes, um, and it did not look like they had enough to proceed. So we have started our construction process. So. I would say in the next week or two, you will start seeing trucks and action starting to happen in Bountiful. So we are very, very excited and uh, it'll be Bountiful City Fiber powered by Utopia. So uh, I think our first customer, if we're really lucky could come on by the end of the year, but uh, most likely the beginning of next year where we're gonna start lighting up customers there. And next the one. good news
1: is once they start building and then the opposition do whatever they want, they never get to stop building. Judges mm-hmm. never ever agree with that, so.
0: Yep. Uh, in other news, we uh, the other quick item I had was that um, uh, a little frustrated. Um, I've been looking into the Pennsylvania Broadband Grant Program, uh, which is using capital project funds, which was part of the Rescue Plan Act and uh, Pennsylvania put out a document, a guideline with, uh, you know, uh, information about how to apply for it. And uh, we, uh, working with some of the folks in the state that are trying to make an application, um, I'm trying to get a more of a ground level view of some of this. And uh, there's no information really about exactly like what format they want things in. And so you sort of go through and you you get all this stuff ready and then you go to actually submit it and you find out that they actually have like character limits and they have a specific spreadsheet format they need you to use. And uh, and they need you to answer the questions in this way and that way. And they don't actually tell you any of that or give you any kind of a template up front. You just sort of find that out. I think a lot of people on the day before this thing is due are going to find out that they need to redo their uh, spreadsheets and things like that to have them comport to the state's secret formula. In no way does it make public in a convenient way ahead of time. Not unusual. Yeah. Disappointed. Brand
1: offices ben- ben- are just a mess in many states. And then, uh, that,
0: yeah, I've ran into the same
1: thing in Washington state. It's like, what do you mean there's a format? <laughs> yeah.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I feel, I feel for the ISPs out there that are, that are going through that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So the 10-day rule, uh, some guy at uh, Pots and Pans by CCG um, has been covering a lot of nuances uh, around uh, the federal funds uh, that are going out and um, and one of the things that has come up was that, um, you know, to, to an area that's considered served, if uh, a provider can provide service within 10 days. And, uh, Doug, you, uh, were basically saying that there's a bunch of places where they're claiming service, even though, uh, it's not like they could do it on the 11th day. They're like, it's probably like a month or two.
1: Yeah. Or, or not at all. I mean, the guy who tried to come to your house is said, "Oh, I have to build fiber and in the mid city, before I get to you, that was six months or a year, right? And so, the problem is we went through all that rigmarole to count the unserved people everywhere, right? Big deal. Come out, allocate the money to states. They ignored one of the three or four basic rules of the maps. You can only count as served places that can be that you can connect within ten business days. So, first off, you know, let's just run through. I mean, you know, an awful lot of fiber providers take three, four, five, six weeks to get to you. That's just automatic. They're going like, I don't install you in 10 days. But, but they all put those areas on their map. WISPs have no idea if they can serve you at all until they go to your house.
0: They In just, many cases, yeah.
1: In many cases. Well, they have an idea of certain people within certain neighborhoods, but an awful lot of folks, they just don't know. But, you know and, and most of them will tell you that on the phone. They go, can I get service? I don't know. Let's come out and look, right? Um, Starlink <laughs> claims the whole <laughs> United States and yet they have giant areas where you're not allowed to order because they have too many customers. It's like they won't serve you
2: at all. So how come they're allowed to put that on the map? Okay, they but won't. I have a question for you, Doug. And oh. this is a question that I've experienced in some of these high high growth areas: is what if you're marking whoever it is here in Utah, it's Blue Stakes, who doesn't clear for six days um, before you can go even do the conduit? What are you like? What is the solution there? I'm not saying that they're wrong, but there's some very The broadband providers can't um, really
1: account for. uh, No, there's real life limitations. I just think the FCC rule is stupid. The fact is, that's one of the rules on the maps. And then during this whole process of allocating the bead money, they paid zero attention to it. They simply did not take that into consideration. And so, you know, so the fact is there's only four or five major rules with the map, and that's one of them. And nobody paid the slightest bit of mind to that. And and all the people reporting their maps don't pay any attention to that.
0: Right. I mean, but, yeah. it's, it's difficult to imagine what rule would work perfectly because, I mean, I would say that Comcast and CenturyLink serve every home you know, within a mile of me, let's say. Uh, and, I, and I think that's an accurate representation. At the same time, uh, I would suspect that most of those addresses would have to wait longer than ten business days to get a new right. new service if they wanted to, just because of the way backlogs work and the way they run their businesses. And I don't know, Travis, if you can connect people within ten business days, but I would guess most small fiber ISPs, uh, especially as they're expanding, are are probably not able to do it that quickly.
3: Well, you sh- you shoot for two weeks, but a lot depends on did the you know. Up here, what they call it, go for one. I don't know what you guys call it there, Kim. You know, um, if that gets cleared, mm-hmm. and a lot depends on the homeowner's availability too. Um, right. So um, it all depends, Mister Mitchell. Um, but some, sometimes it could be two weeks. Sometimes it might be a month.
1: But yeah. somebody who, somebody who averages two weeks, could very, with a very straight face, say that they that's where they cover. Right. Yeah. Somebody who always takes a month shouldn't be claiming those. So that's no, we, a fair
3: yeah. point. We tell the homeowner that if you're available, we can have you up and running in two weeks. Right.
2: Ours is nine business days. Yeah. From the time we call to schedule you, we need nine business days in order. That's only on Underground, on aerial, we can do next um, day.
0: Uh, and so. is that yeah, your decision, Kim?
2: That is. Uh, that was just with uh, the legalities with clearing of all the utilities plus that giving the conduit crew enough time to get the conduit in the ground. So you, got, uh,
1: you guys course. meet that task. So you're mm-hmm. fine.
3: You're but you them. know, what's interesting is I don't know why they picked 10 days. Cause lot, it's, it's, if you, if you set the expectation with the customer 99.9% of the time, mm-hmm. they're fine. So if you're like, right. Hey, there's, you know, like we've got a, we've got a bore around the corner. Uh, so it's going to take 15 days or, you know, if you would do it days or businesses take three weeks, they're like, fine. Right.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think I the reason is with 40,000
0: customers and
1: they've always had a one month install. Yeah. And they, and they still got 40,000 customers. Yeah. People I think,
0: yeah. I mean, I think the issue is that the FCC is trying to avoid the situation in which you have a provider, um, and in many cases, I think more likely wireless because of the challenge of of figuring out where you can serve and what signal strength and how, and the fact that you, your facilities can reach far more people, mm-hmm. um, you know, relative to the ones you'll actually serve. It's it's sort of it's a totally different kind of model in some ways than a fiber network where you know how they're gonna serve. But the thing that gets me is that the FCC just ends up penalizing people who are honest, right? right. Like, like you know, so I mean, like Travis, for instance, like, I, I'm curious, like, do you leave off um, when you report, do your guys leave off the areas where the park board doesn't let you get there? Um, or are they just included because like, you're sort of like under normal circumstances, I'd be able to connect there?
3: No, no. no. So we, we only identify the parcels that we can actually serve.
0: Okay. I mean, but like, there's others who I think are probably just trying to a big circle and they're getting away with it because yeah. Well, it doesn't they do they us do do. any good well, because the
3: person well, on the one, park board will, yeah. will look at the map and they'll say, oh, and they'll call us up and then we look like you know, we're looking like, we look like bad actors because we misrepresented. So why why even Kim, start that relationship that way?
1: Kim has something to say. Yeah,
3: Kim well, her I
2: was going to say back in the day when Utopia didn't, wasn't as financially secure as it is today, we did these things called success based builds where we didn't have anybody down that street. So we didn't build there because we didn't want to use that extra money that we didn't have a lot of to build to an area that we didn't have any committed customers. We've stopped doing that because of the hell that success space builds really cause because you call in and then you have to put some backbone in and then you have to go to the do the drop. So, I mean, there is ways, but that that doesn't, you can't fit that in within 10 days. It just doesn't doesn't really work.
1: I wanna challenge some Chris said because I did a study of an urban area recently and we found over 200 pockets of places where the cable company didn't go. You would be surprised how many little, for whatever reason, when they did original construction, there was something going on there they bypassed and they just never came back
0: you know, for no i believe you years, so. but what's the you scale know. is it like do you think it's 2% of the addresses in a metro 1% like yes yeah, it's, it's 1 or 2 well, it's 1 or 2% until you
1: start getting into apartment buildings that got skipped and it could be a bigger mm. percent so
0: yeah, yeah. uh well, that, that sort of pushes us right into broadband pricing i feel like and uh there's a couple of different Uh, things going on here, but once again, uh, sort of spurred by a post from Doug that, uh, um, I think uh, got some, some good attraction talking about the broadband grants and affordable rates and some of the ISPs that are out there charging a lot of money. And and I'll just say proactively that we've identified a few community networks where we're trying to figure out why the community is charging. Uh, what, uh, Ryan will probably remind me here in the second in the chat, but I think it was like a hundred bucks a month for 50 megabits or 70 bucks a month for 50 megabits or something like that. Um, but there's a number of ISPs who are out there who are charging a lot of money uh, compared to what others are charging. And I think there's a question that you're raising, Doug, about should the public be subsidizing these networks? Well, the, I don't care what an ISP
1: charges when they build it out of their own money. I don't care what they charge a thousand bucks if they want. That's They spent the money, right, Travis? But when you take grant money, I think you have a public obligation to have some affordable rates. And so that that's where the problem comes into me. And so you know the RDOF winners are what I talked about in the in the blog, but there's RDOF winners who are charging 100 bucks. It's like wait, but your network is subsidized. You know that that's a different situation than than somebody building their own. Travis builds his own. He can charge whatever the heck he wants. Turns out he's going to have cheaper rates. He's not charging 100. So,
2: um, but by like Doug. So if you take the bead money, you can just get RDOF um to supplement their operational costs so you don't have to um do this. haven't we already talked about this? <laughs> but, last they'll, week? But,
1: they'll, but they'll still charge $100. dollars and then they also make a lot of money. I mean, I mean a, couple of the, a couple of the big wireless guys who rates are a hundred dollars. And that's they keep going. We have cheaper technology and fiber, but ooh, but our rates are higher.
2: <laughs> but know, I, I think I think I get where you're saying, but I mean they're they're never gonna police that, Doug. They're never gonna no, police no. it. And because
1: oh, I was just, I was just bitching.
2: they are going to, they're going to, they're going to they're gonna be, you were, you were just having a moment. Um, They, they're just never going to do that. I mean, I think that's, it gets into of that they're not building to these rural areas because they're altruistic and they want to help them. They want to make some money. Um, and they want to float it on the back of some of these uh, grant programs
0: and they know they're not going to face stiff competition. And this mm-hmm. is where I think the long-term role of the Wisps is important. Uh, Travis.
3: Are, we're referencing this Waterloo article. Is that the one that we're
0: talking? Yeah. So about that was it? what I was going to come up with next because yeah. their prices actually seem to be so aggressively low. Yeah, the, the, I'm concerned to see what happens. That's what I thought you'd, I figured you'd pick, that up, pick up on that, Travis.
3: <laughs> they will not last long. I'll be surprised within a year they're not 20 or $30 more. Plus I think they're making a huge tactical error they're offering linear television. Um, So I think, yeah, but let's be clear. So
0: without knowing this for a fact, I think they are probably partnered with Cedar falls who already has the 4k front head end and all of that. So they are probably, um, they don't have to deal with all of the headaches and whatnot. It's not like they built it from scratch. I'm pretty sure. So I think they're seeing that as an add on and, and I also think that some of these markets are kind of odd, and Waterloo might be the kind of a market where you have enough of the old people with the clickers that um, that it might not be totally crazy. So I think you're right, but I'm just offering a few hedges No no I,
3: I just I think if if I was starting a new internet based business like they are, I the last thing I would do is linear television.
0: Oh I mean I agree with you, but I have a
1: question now, I, what are the
0: water what are the
1: Waterloo rates?
2: Yeah,
0: We'll talk about those in a second. Kim, what's your question?
2: Well, my question was, is Waterloo ever done this? Because I kind of agree with Travis of that they put out these, what their prices are going to be, but they don't, if they've never really done this, where did they get those mark, those price points? Why are they using those price points? Are they just kind of mimicking from other business models? Um, yeah, so- I mean, for
0: comparison, um, and again, uh, proper hosts would have done some research and it would have been pretty easy. It was called a <laughs> Dean and been like, Curtis, what's the deal down there? And he would have told me, uh, but, um, the, uh, my guess is, is that they are working with Cedar Falls. So Waterloo and Cedar Falls are like sister cities and uh, Waterloo, uh, but both of them have municipal electric utilities and they are likely um, de- getting all of the economies of scale and benefits from Cedar Falls, which has also worked with multiple other uh, communities in northeast Iowa to do this. And so they are coming in um, aggressively. Uh, and I think this is the sort of thing that I've seen in Highland, Illinois and in Fairlawn, Ohio, where they capture 50% of the market pretty quickly and they're still not in the black and they have to get up into the 60 and then they have to figure out how to increase their ARPU, their average revenue per user. And it, it can be a little bit challenging, but it hasn't resulted in ruin in the way that Travis is worried about. Well, okay, hold this. on.
3: You, you brought up some data points there I wasn't aware of. So they own mm-hmm. the polls?
0: Uh, yeah, they probably they probably do own the polls. Yeah.
3: Oh, and this is an aerial network.
0: I would I would guess it is mostly aerial, just from the demographics oh, I know okay. of Waterloo. Okay,
3: all right. Well, then then these prices I guess I wouldn't consider them cheap. Then they're just normal.
0: They're not crazy. Yeah. Okay. And it is so. i sorry. I didn't did say I would say what they are. Fifty dollars a month for three hundred megabits, uh, for a gigabit seventy dollars a month, which is more or less pretty common. Oh, they're in the chat now too. Yeah. Um and um the uh, and they're competing with um. Um, Mediacom, and I want to say Frontier, but I think I might be confusing them with Fort Dodge. I don't know if Frontier's yeah. in that market. No, I think CSR, CenturyLink's in that. CenturyLink is in CenturyLink was in the area. Had kind of abandoned Cedar Falls because it had like a zero percent market share. Now
1: Frontier, believe it or not, has very affordable rates. Their base product is 500 megabit symmetrical for fifty nine ninety nine
0: for some that, for that's fiber. Their star-
1: for fiber that's their but they don't have
0: any product. fiber in Iowa to speak of I don't think no
1: but that's their starting product right right so they, so they've now built four or five million passings of fiber they're getting there so
0: I think Waterloo could have three quarters of the market in five years. I mean yeah. there's <laughs> we'll see what happens with Mediacom but Mediacom has a bad reputation in this area. Mediacom yeah. has cleaned up its act in a number of areas I think but I'll be curious to see what happens here.
2: So I respect before you go I'm going I'm going rogue here Christopher what so we're seeing power rates in some of these, these these cities who have municipal power and has the power systems and pricing has switched you're seeing a lot of those communities who had reserves that is floating out the door what do you think how do you think there's going to be a correlation with the power and the broadband because it's always what do you a mean? Say a That's, little bit more what do you mean so i'm hearing that like i don't understand power rates but i've heard that with some communities who own municipal power they were having an excess of a lot of money in the bank in reserves. And now they're having to spend, you know, an excess of 20 million plus a year to keep those facilities still in check just because of how power pricing goes. So I'm like, a lot of them have kind of worked together because if power has always been the backstop of some of this broadband, if it didn't really pencil. So what happens when powers are, is is, um, losing money.
0: So the first thing is that my understanding is that, Um, the power rates are usually pretty heavily regulated. In the case of like Tennessee, they're heavily regulated by both TVA and the state regulator, I think. So in some cases, multiple regulators are making sure that they are not cross-subsidizing or Mm -hmm. using electric revenues for non-electric purposes. There have been claims over the years that that municipal fiber networks have cross- subsidized. As far as I know, not a single one of them has been demonstrated in court, Um, although there have been, like Bristol, Virginia, for instance, went through this back Twenty years ago,
1: they weren't subsidizing, but there are some cities who have subsidized. They just never do it in court. I can promise you there are a few
0: of them. Okay, so yeah. so that may but, be the but case. But that's
1: not normal. Most of them try to mm-hmm. run fiber as a standalone business.
0: But the opposite is is definitely true. So, you know, we've had Christy Batts on from Clarksville and and they've sort of cross subsidized in the opposite direction where telecom customers have bought like I think it's 30 to 50 million dollars worth of electrical infrastructure at this point. So um, you bring in so much more revenue from the telecom side that then you can actually use to build a new uh, transformer station or, or whatever they call those Um and uh, substation. And, um, and so that does happen. But um, when the electricity rates go, uh, when there's a reason that electricity rates go up, then they go up. And, um, and that's something that I think people take pretty seriously. I mean, fiber is important, but electricity is something that these utilities, it's often there was their first thing and is the thing that they cherish and they pay first attention to. Uh, so, but like I said before, what we've seen is most of the municipal electrics that have a fiber network, they actually, the electricity rates are artificially low because of the benefits of the fiber network, including the revenues.
2: Fair enough. I would, it was something that somebody mentioned in passing the other day. And I was like, huh, curious of how that all works. Cause I'm not familiar with the electrical side at yeah, all. But you can,
1: you can find examples of Situations where one or the other is completely upside down, but most are not. So okay. yeah. no, I mean, how, how do they? How do they finance?
3: How, like, let's. Well, that's I'm not, the fun I'm not, part. To, I'm not trying to pick on Waterloo, but I'll just use them as an example. They almost
1: but, always use the electric assets as their backstop for their loans.
3: See, so that really so helps. Just, to,
1: yeah. that helps them to get very cheap interest
3: rates. Let Let's but, be also, clear. to everyone out there, that is. I mean, that's a significant advantage. Right. So
0: that's something that no private sector – well, that's something that a small local private sector would not have. Um, at the same time, like the kind of rates that massive companies can can get access to may be um, not too dissimilar. But the thing that I think is really interesting is actually there's a little bit of a game that they can play in that most states – have a minimum interest rate that you have to use for internal transfers and loans. So in Chattanooga, for instance, when they were using, they they tapped into a loan from the electric department for some of the telecom revenue that there some of the telecom capital that they needed. And they were paying themselves a higher interest rate than they could get from the triple A rated bonds that they have to buy for their reserves. And so from their point of view, they 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 pay the maximum amount. They don't pay off anything early because they are actually, once again, using the telecom customers to artificially increase their revenues because they are getting a higher interest rate from themselves than they could get from any bank or or the Federal Reserve. Or I don't know. I don't know how the treasuries work, but, you know, along but from putting them in treasuries. So there's a, um, there's a lot of, um, a lot of interesting uh, games that can be played that I actually think benefit the public um, along with this. But as Doug has said, there are some who have played these games in bad ways. And I think it's important that we um, make sure that local governments are uh, doing things above board in a transparent manner that is in accordance with law.
1: Cool.
0: Anyone want to argue? That's pretty good, pretty. pretty oh, I, I, I would argue
1: against legal. What do I, what, when did we come out for legal?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, as, these electric
1: co ops have a
3: significant advantage over everybody else. Yeah. Significant. Yeah.
0: And that's the way it should be. Like, I mean, there's a reason that we want them to build rural infrastructure. Like, you well, know. They're owned by the customers. That's a
1: really good deal. They also don't have the profit motive, Travis. So, no, I'm, then, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm
3: just saying, right. just from a, a pure building and a cost model—they've got so many advantages. They should be the cheapest in town.
0: On the other hand, if they <laughs> have spent 30 years not doing proper maintenance on their poles, they're suddenly at a, I'm at a disadvantage, and that's where bad management comes back to bite you. Well, uh, and some that, elect- yeah.
1: and yeah. some electric co-ops have done that. They have. Were horrible polls and so that's mm-hmm. a problem some places, yes.
0: and sean mclaughlin in the chat reminds us that uh, bruce Kushnick and a group called the irregulators um have spent um, decades documenting i would say harmful cross subsidies um, one of the one that that comes to mind first is uh for instance, in New York, uh, Verizon got permission to basically raise everyone's telephone rates for you know the basic service and then use that to build Fios out to some areas. And the way that they have uh, arranged that uh, basically minimizes their tax burden. And it's just really a fleecing of the public in ways that are inappropriate. Uh, and so uh, there is a new book coming out soon from Bruce Kushnick, along with I think David Rosen um, uh, wrote it with them. So there's, for people who actually, if you really want to dig into some of the, the the arcana of uh, telephone regulation and uh, and cross-subsidies, uh, that is there for you. Doug, you look like you're ready to say something.
1: No, nah, they did the same thing in Pennsylvania. They promised in the old days they got a huge rate increase to build DSL, and then they just didn't build it.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a classic thing of, you know, it's like the hamburger right? I will pay you on Tuesday for a uh-huh. hamburger I can eat today, and then yeah, – uh... Verizon did
1: that in a big, big way. There was a huge number of – all the places between Philly and Pittsburgh and the rural areas, they just never got DSL.
2: So it was so, DSL to the press release, not fiber to the press release. This, this well, was in the
1: well, this is this is, this is in the nineties, yeah.
0: Okay. yeah. it was it was actually so I believe it was advanced telecommunications services, which were as B and defined at 45 megabits a second. And they basically originally were talking about fiber for video dial tone kind of thing, I guess. I don't know, maybe right. mixing things up. And then they they got closer and they're like, Oh no, we could do this all in DSL. We'll take all that money you gave us, and we'll and so basically people's rates went up far more than was necessary. In order to get these investments that were not made and never were paid back. And if you total up all of the overpaid rates, uh, I think Bruce Kushnick has documented that it is in the like 300, 400 billion dollar range at this point that we have overpaid to the biggest uh, telecommunications companies. Okay. Fun stuff. The last thing on fixed wireless, Doug was reminding us that charters prices have gone up and it's kind of interesting because I think charters prices should have gone up more. I would have expected more with the interest rate hikes, but fixed wireless is eating into them. And at the same time, Verizon just raised its fixed wireless rates. And so I think all the analysts are trying to figure out, you know, for the cost Cost-conscious consumer, I just I hate the word consumer in this case, but I'm going to use it because it's alliterative. Um, that uh, it is, um, it'll be curious to see where people end up uh, with these different price increases.
1: Well, Charter raises their rates five dollars a year. This is this will be the seventh year in a row. That's just the number. Has nothing to do with cost. Has nothing with inflation. Good years, bad years, five dollars. So they're obviously marching towards hundred, I believe. So that this now puts their basic product up to eighty-four ninety-nine, and so, um, so you know, so it, now you know, seven years ago, those was not actually bad rates, but um, so that's just what they're going to do. I was really curious to see if they would do it this year because they are starting to lose market share. But you know, the Wall Street analysts go raise your rates, or we're going to kill your stock price. They don't have a choice, I don't think. That's their only way to get more profits now is to raise rates because they're not getting more
2: customers. All I have to ask is, do we really have to talk about charter raising the rates? Is this a shock to anyone on this? uh, I think it's that they're being as transparent as they are of it, at least. They're not hiding it in ridiculous fees. They're at least being straight up from what you're saying, Doug. Well, Well, they are.
1: Remember now for cable TV, they have $23 hidden fee you sign up for $40 package and your first bill's $66. What is the
2: made- $23 consist of? Is it, it- it's-, it's hidden
1: programming fees over the years the increases they didn't bother to tell you about. And so your first bill is about $25 higher than what they tell you it's going to be.
2: I take back my transparent comment. Thank you, Doug. They're not they're not at all
1: transparent. <laughs> you know. All right, so they're, they're transparent for broadband. They are
0: um rye Rye did some quick research and uh my memory is faulty waterloo uh does not own its electric system um it's run by mid-america uh that's really dumb of me um there's so many of the municipal electrics around there i was convinced that waterloo did have their own uh apparently their utility is water and sewer so um what I was saying um, probably does not totally apply to Waterloo. Um, I'll be curious to see, uh, but it will be an aerial plant, Travis, I would I would guess still. You're um, not going to go
1: back and edit that out of the Connect This. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh,
0: but the dynamics are nonetheless the same. People can get a sense of the dynamics for a municipal-owned infrastructure. Yeah. So, um, they're certainly not the only ones charging $50 <clears throat>
1: as a starting price. That's not untypical for a muni. Yeah.
0: Well, and the other thing is, I mean, I'm curious to see. Uh, you know in the rural areas that gigabit product is increasingly um you know uh, the more popular one so right. um you know they may have a sense that they're gonna get forty percent of uh gigabit or something like that and that'll push their ARPU up high enough uh, but they're I I, can't, I, I I would I would emphasize that um if I'm totally wrong about them working with Cedar Falls then I'm just a total idiot but uh, <laughs> that will result in significant operational savings <laughs> well, well, I would probably, probably, probably gonna Yeah, you're going to get a cease
1: and desist letter from somebody.
3: Yeah, I want to apologize to Waterloo because I was using the data Chris was giving me. So if they're building their own network underground and they're charging 50 bucks a month, well done. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and, and second of all i would just like to apologize to everyone who thought this podcast was going to be professional
1: Chris.
3: oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah
0: i i was just setting that up so y'all could dunk on me later i mean that was just a gift to y'all so uh, and, I,
1: and i want to apologize for chris's haircuts so yeah. we're, cle- we're all clean and transparent
3: and you know what Char- charters five dollars is, is a drop in the bucket
1: drop in the bucket
3: to to, to 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 uh tomorrow's uh another 25 basis point rate increase from the Fed. so that'll slow down broadband even more. So
1: they, uh, that's after they told us they thought they were done raising rates. Yeah. Us. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, I think that yeah. this one was priced in, but I still think I would I would really hope they, they reverse themselves. I mean, there's anyway, they're not, they're not gonna, we're not going to turn into a macroeconomic. No, we're, show. Talk, we're, we're talking Li-Fi. about
1: rate increases.
0: Who knows anything about Li-Fi?
1: I know a lot about Li-Fi. I've seen it in action. Li-Fi Travis is going to love it if he hasn't seen it. So, Li-Fi uses infrared light mm-hmm. instead of instead of wireless. And because of that, you have a lot of major advantages. It's not regulated. You can make your channels as big as you want. You can get more data on infrared than you can on like millimeter waves. So you can put a huge amount of data on. Its only limitation is it doesn't go very far. But you can put this in a roof of your office in the ceiling, and you could easily beam 10 gigabits to each desktop very easily. Hey, Doug, can you
0: pop your mic up? Every now and then your beard is just crinkling, and then it cuts your voice out.
1: Yeah, so... So you know you can do gigantic speeds indoors. It's really useful for you know if you were running a shop or you were live collaborating on on uh, video and stuff. This you know like you know especially computer generated video. This is the way to go. Factories, but it's not very good outdoors. You can use it to go between two buildings downtown, but light. This is not focused. This, you can beam a radio wave. <laughs> you can't beam a light wave. And, you know, you have a laser pointer, you point it at the wall for your cats, just in going at six feet, it gets to be the size of a quarter, right? And so you beam this very far outside and it just spreads way out because it's not, you can't focus it, it's photons. You know, you can focus microwaves, but you can't focus photons. So so is this for real? Is this something <laughs> that's going to make a difference? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to make a difference. Here's the reason. You, It's cutting edge, which means if you buy it and you put it in your building and your manufacturer folds, what do you do? <laughs> Any cutting edge technologies are always risky. It's an awesome technology.
0: Being I, mean, that I mean it's an infrared can it does it work at at night? It works anytime. It's infrared. So it doesn't it wouldn't disturb you if you're and you sleeping can't in see it.
1: You can't see it. It's infrared. Just like your T V remote, you can't see it. Yeah. But if you your, look if if very carefully <laughs> Well the red light comes on but it doesn't beam at you. No. Well if you have really good eyes
2: I know where my TV remote is, Doug. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> it's in the couch, right? <laughs> Somewhere.
1: <laughs> no, it's a great technology. And, I, mean, I, think this I, I,
2: I don't know that they're going to
1: make it over the hump because Wi-Fi is so good that for most people that's good enough.
0: But I wonder, like, I mean, are we still seeing issues in MDUs where, like, you know, college campuses and whatnot where you just have, like, saturation? Or is 5 gigahertz and 6 gigahertz solving that?
1: That's one beauty of this. There's zero interference. You right. That's what in, I'm thinking. Put this in your living room and you're good. You get all the bandwidth. I mean, it's, you know, so.
0: Travis, you've been tracking this. Are you excited about it? Or do you not care because Ajit Pai didn't put it in during the Trump administration, so you can't hold it over my head? <laughs> well, remember, we
3: have kind of solved this wireless issue with, you know, with the six gigahertz thing in DAR. But no, there there will be corner cases for it. The problem is, is they talk a lot about like manufacturing facilities and applications like that. And hospitals and stuff. But, you know, the issue with all that is, is a reel of cat six cable is so cheap and is so reliable that a lot of those things would be hardwired. Um, So I think there's maybe a corner case here and there for it. But will it be widely adopted? I kind of doubt it. And you could easily walk by, you know, probably college dorm rooms and stuff. If you want to mess up your guy's game, you just walk by and put your hand over his his receiver, and now right. he's got no, no he he or she Kim sorry he or she will have no, will have no connectivity
0: anymore.
2: I know, so, I know you. This is shocking to you, Travis, but I've never um owned a gaming console ever. What? So yeah.
0: All right, Travis. When we <laughs> head out that way, we're not staying with Kim. We're
3: shipping her a PlayStation Five. I think
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she'll be all
3: addicted. The glasses will all be off, and. She'll be- <laughs>
0: I, I don't know i don't own one either i don't do
3: gaming yeah i don't really anymore you know i'm getting too old this these new controllers i can't use you know
0: uh open when access we- networks uh discussion um about do we need to limit the number kim uh you did a, a discussion about this that i had seen and um it's a i feel like this has long been something that i feel like like active versus passive i feel like is mostly an excuse for people to argue as opposed to like anyone that actually cares about whether it has any practical implications or not?
2: I, I think it's depending on what the model looks like. It's depending on where they are, what the the scale of how many people are in the area. It, it's not an easy answer and everybody wants to fight about it. And I think the thing that people don't get is that the people, if, what is open access? I think that's at the end of the day, probably more of the question than open access providers, because some of these who are coming in, who the city is paying for the infrastructure and giving, you know, exclusivity to one or two.
0: Is that open access?
2: Yeah. So I think that's more of the question than what, how many providers are on open access,
1: but no, those networks are just four different companies with fiber strands. That's not open access.
0: Well, that's what I was, I mean, I feel like the case that I saw was being made by the guy um, at Syringa networks. And I just know a little bit about Syringa because they have fought hard to make sure that there's not real open access in Utah, or in, in Idaho, I'm sorry, um, mm-hmm. because they represent a lot of the historic monopolistic local teleco- telcos, and and they've wanted to t- talk about open access because people love talking about it, but like they're secretly against open access and looking for any opportunity they can to undermine it because they fear real competition, as best I can tell. It goes by the market. Can you muted yourself?
2: yourself. I know, I'm muted myself. So I can't think, I was just trying to think of the name of it but there is some, so Syringa is owned by a lot of other companies. It's kind of other companies who bought into Syringa or however that works. Uh, some of those companies are on open access networks. So it's okay. really interesting to say that Syringa says this over here and then behind the behind this, they're saying something different. But it, I think Gabe, and Gabe uh, it has a provider on the Utopia network as well. So it's very interesting he comes out with that, that claim because- I say that is he saying it because he just wants more market share, which is a valid point that he just wants to have more market share. But I think that is more of what he's saying than open access only needs to be a certain amount of providers. I will say that however anybody wants to do it, it's fair. But when you get too many providers, you have to remember that it could confuse the consumer and almost be too confusing of what's the difference between uh, the providers. And I think that's where open access networks have to be really diligent of, really vetting the providers and making sure they're ha- they have a value add and they're they're coming on with something different than just having the exact same product at the exact same price point.
1: Now, the last time I checked, Paris, which has three or four million passings, had 110 ISPs. However, they don't all duplicate each other. They are very specialized. There's one. There's an ISP on there that only serves people who have diabetes because they do insulin monitoring. So they're very, very specialized mm-hmm. on that network. No, there, I'm sure there's 20 who just say, here's your gigabit, right? Mm-hmm. But they have an awful lot of them that are just gamers or just this or just that. And, and so that way they're really tailoring to a market. But when you have 4 million passings, you can all get your market share. In little markets, all that happens is if you get too many ISPs, some of the people will just drop out because mm-hmm. they no longer have a good business case there will come, there's a natural size where it's not worth anybody's while to have a technician in a truck in the town. So you just drop off. And so there, there you know, how many, how many ISPs do you really want in a town
2: of 2,000 people? And I think that's the point. I think that right. is the point is that if you're starting up a new open access network, you can't support 20 ISPs no. because you have 2,000 potential customers. On the Utopia network, we have 180,000 passings. So you're looking at something vastly different Yes. than you are there. And I think that's when I say different models mean different things for different communities. We can have eighteen <coughs> offerings in Morgan, Utah, which has five thousand residents. Well, it's because we have the size in the other cities to support the market share, which that's where these these articles they they try to make them contentious. and I don't I think in general, <coughs> Kind of all on the same page of what that means. Yeah, <laughs> I don't.
1: See, I, I don't see the ISPs who are on these networks having any real contention about it mm-hmm. at all.
0: <laughs> Do the Brigham City ISP? They um, they had joined. You know, they had sort of been there. They still have that um, base of support there in Brigham City.
2: Yep. Ken Sutton, who uh, runs Brigham.net up in Brigham City, he was a local ISP before Utopia came in. Uh, he decided to join the network because he was running um, DSL, basically. And now he can offer not only just service in Brigham City, he has 20 more cities that he can offer service on as well. So I think it, it really enables smaller providers to come in. And what I'm seeing is a lot of these bigger providers are wanting to go on open access, but they want the exclusivity. They don't necessarily want to compete. And that is some of the problem of, of this is that on the Utopia Network, we have some bigger providers. We have rise broadband which is i think one of if not the biggest fixed wireless provider in the country who's who's competing but you're also giving the smaller guys a way to compete against big telco and survive i i've said it on this show and i will say it again our one of our biggest providers is x mission out of salt lake city the oldest isp in the state of utah they pete ashdown who runs that network has said and continues to say that he would not be in business today if it, it hadn't been that he could run and operate on an open access network, and I, I think, think that was was on, what enabling,
0: I think he was on episode four of, of the show. Um, the,
2: um, the I'm not old. Of- I'm not
0: old enough to
1: remember that far
0: back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I had a hundred customers, Kim, on Utopia Network, given the the fixed costs and things like that, am I gonna, am I scraping by? I mean, is there some point at which like no.
2: You're not making if you have a hundred business customers, you can you can survive. We tell people all the time is if you want to come on the copy network, there's an application process, there's a vetting process. We want to ensure our customer experience um, first and foremost. But we we tend to say if you want to become a provider, go on the business first, because there's a lot of fixed costs of starting an ISP and being on our network and getting the higher revenue. Uh, customers is is going to make it easier for you to transition into the residential, because I have seen over and over again, and I've had conversations with a lot of our ISPs who are like, well, uh, why am I not getting this much market share? And I said, you're competing against 17 other providers. It's not it's not that easy for them. What are you What are you doing? Are you marketing? What is your differentiator? What is it? And a lot of them that who've come from these markets where they don't have competition just get a little bit lost. And a lot of them just get scrappy and survive. So uh, kudos to those as well.
0: Okay. Um, letter of credit, quickly. Uh, anyone have Travis? Travis, go for it. I don't know much about it,
3: but uh, fundamentally in the early nine or mid-90s when we were selling dial-up account, isn't that kind of the equivalent of open access today? Isn't that, isn't that what it should be?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was open access, right? I mean, that's, right. that so, was, so that's how I we guess- know it works
3: it's kind of survival of the fittest, right? Mm -hmm. You let everyone on and and people have to do a better job. The the problem, Mm -hmm. a lot of these fiber providers, and I don't want to say that I'm guilty, but maybe we're a little guilty is you get kind of spoiled when you don't really have to market. You just show up. And half the neighborhood wants you. Right. And, but you know, we had 143 dial up providers in Minneapolis when we were in business. So, I guess is is that really the the open access model today is cuz can anyone get on utopia right now
2: It's there's a vetting process of to make sure that they have experience in the the, the telecom business because I think a lot of people think that they can start a ISP and there is a lot more behind the scenes than people are aware of so yeah we we've we are kind of uh, looking at that and changing it a bit but there is an application and interview and standards process that goes along with it
3: all right, And to ask, answer Sean's question on the uh, free space optical, we, we tried it. Problem was we have rain here in Minneapolis. And so every time it rained, we would lose our connection. So we, we went with... Uh, Is that a problem? People. Well, it, people get really antsy nowadays. They didn't back in the 90s. You know, if the internet was people, out... People, people are up, mad
1: today if they lose the internet for 30 seconds.
3: Yeah, yeah, if you lose a ping today, you are got real problems. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, not a good application here let's put it that way but maybe out in the middle of the desert it would probably be amazing
0: so the letter of credit is something that uh come up i think uh, there's a great article from connect humanity uh explaining uh some of the challenges around the letter of credit for the smaller uh, ISPs and how much it actually costs, the fact you have to keep that money in the bank rather than building connections with it to maintain that. Uh, sounds like a lot of uh, small, a lot of the banks don't, don't even want to do it. And banker, a number of bankers are actually arguing that NTIA should just get rid of this, that it's not necessary and not helpful. So I don't want to go with, we've talked about this a bit in the past, but I wanted to flag that article that I think really brought some good numbers to it and see, Doug, did you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, just give you a two minute primer. Big companies don't have this problem because they have already have the money. AT and T has all the money they want. They don't need a letter of credit. They go, I have a hundred million dollars in reserve, and that's and that's good enough for the grant, right? The little guys, literally, they don't borrow the money. It's not really in the bank, but what they have to do is the bank has to set aside money on their behalf and their reserve and put their name on it. Now they have to, they're carrying reserves anyhow, by the way. But and then they have to pay the interest on that. Even before you file for the grant, you start paying interest. And that could take a year before you're actually awarded the grant, if you even win at all. So you're paying. Can you imagine Travis paying interest on fifty million dollars for a year and not even knowing if you're going to do the project? It's nuts. Nope. It's absolutely insane. Wouldn't even.
3: Wouldn't even. Wouldn't even apply.
1: No, and a lot of people are not going to apply because of that. Yeah. Because you're spending a lot of money when you have no idea if you're going to win, um, and 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 there's no reason for it. What they want. All they really wanted was guarantee that if they pick you you're going to be able to make this work but that this is a crazy way to do it so i
2: i thought it was interesting that not every bank can um, a lot of banks don't want to do this yeah either. well that banks that, that some of them can't even qualify because they don't have some kind of rating Yeah, they could get that i thought that was a fascinating part of the article because i hadn't right. even considered that
1: yeah yeah a lot of local banks are very very on the edge to start with. I mean, there's a lot of banks who are not big, rich companies. So,
3: Well, and remember the the letter of credit also hits your leverage. So let's say you're able to borrow yes. $10 million and you need to issue a $2 million letter of credit. You now only have 8 million to work with.
1: Correct. Correct.
3: So yeah, that, keep... I would just immediately pass because I'd rather another... take that $2 million and put it into fiber in yeah. the ground and generate revenue.
1: Yeah. It's another way to keep the small guys out of the grants, to be honest.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Hundred percent of this money is going to the incumbent. You guys know that, don't
1: you? So, well, wait. Well, you 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 have increased that now. You said ninety five percent last time.
3: Well, I'm waiting to see one example. So, <laughs> yeah, the you know, Comcast um, and Century and Charter and who's one MediaCom? They're going. Ooh, big dividends coming up through the b branch. <laughs> so,
0: I don't know the answer to Ezra's question about um, states being able to issue letters of credit. I don't know any to
1: do that, but I'd be interested to hear about if he wants to post something in here. I, so, I'm yeah, not maybe aware can, of anyone who does that. Yeah, uh,
0: perhaps someone who's listening to this can can tip us off, or we could do a little bit of work before the next show. Um, <laughs> are you Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do. I mean, I will note that we're talking a little bit about more about this with uh, Gigi Sone in the Community Broadband Bits podcast next week. Gigi Sone is the guest where we are focused on the American Association for Public Broadband that uh, Kim was involved in helping to create. Uh, Gigi is running that, and we talk about that. We talk about some of the other challenges that they see for public networks in Bede. So um, that's uh, going to be a really fun conversation. Uh, when does she come
1: things. in? When does she come in on Connect this?
0: Uh, so actually, um, we had talked about uh, today potentially, but then that just uh, didn't work out on on my end so we are uh, would like to invite her on at some point here uh, soon awesome cool um, so the here's the bit- to balance that offer
1: are we going to also invite agit on?
0: You know, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. I he think, would come on. I bet he would come on. I bet he wouldn't. He blocked me on Twitter. I don't even think he knows wow, wow, who I really a, am. Well, that's um, a problem. That's. A problem. He blocked you on Twitter. What did you he do? Blocked me on Twitter? I think I, was, I don't know if he just blocked a whole bunch of. I didn't, like, I am really like. <laughs> I didn't. I'm sure I've said some things that were deeply critical. I've also praised him for some of the things that you know we've talked about before. So, um, and I'll I'll still stand by the fact that um, the Ardolf Auction. Um, not the, the um, the CAF2 auction was remarkably transparent, set a new standard for transparency in some ways. I thought, um, Ardolf was somewhat transparent, even poorly maintained, and we could see how because of the transparency. But, uh, certainly, uh, some things that I would praise him for to his face, uh, probably more criticisms, though. Um, but Travis, I, would, I would welcome him six six gigahertz. Oh, I mean, it was, he loves
3: the best, the best legislation ever to come
0: out of Washington, quite frankly. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, <laughs> um. Not not satellites, not GPS, not uh...
3: <laughs> uh, pert- yeah, not. Of... G- 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 okay. is fine. The Russians do fine with theirs. So you know, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> so
0: on con- on community broadband bits this week, the episode that came out last week, last week's com- episode. Who knows? At some point on community broadband bits recently, I was talking with Sean, and I said that uh we're talking about how um people perceive this as being really difficult and i said water and electricity are all more expensive and more difficult uh to build than uh than the than broadband systems and uh travis wants to uh tell me that i am wrong uh so i'm up for it well
3: I i think the the statement you made was that broadband is much easier
0: and, yep that sounds like something I would say right.
3: and I, and I would and I would argue with you and say I, I would and you and I've had this conversation before where if you had to build a water system from scratch today, it would be very difficult. but you're inheriting a built a network that's effectively built in most areas. It, there, so there's nothing that you need to severely overcome from a construction standpoint. You need to maintain what you have and we can argue about a lot of these areas have been poorly maintained. But the fact of the matter is, is you have, you get a hundred percent customer base, everywhere you go, and in the rural area, when you when you want to provide water, you dig a well. You don't have to right, run. Let's,
0: let's, well, let's focus on the
3: well,
1: metro well, systems, friend For, for well, this let's, discussion, let's talk about because the part that you're missing when you build a new water system
0: is having the reservoir. That's really
1: freaking complicated. Well, and and the water treatment plants are very. complicated.
0: That's what I was thinking of. Well, water our, treatment, are they, the water are treatment the plants are,
1: are, are completely complicated and. Sp- to treat sewage and all that so you know i've you know i've worked in that part of the world a bit and it's complicated as hell there's so many but it's it's a fully
3: defined technology
1: that it is yeah it's
3: it's fully defined and the the user interface is fully defined
1: but you know one of the words they don't have in water systems plug and play
3: yeah but (laughs) what what they also don't have is you also don't have a situation like i deal with where you've got fifty thousand people with 150, 200,000 computers running all different operating systems, different versions, different everything, trying Amen. to make it work, right? You basically have a hose into somebody's house. And everybody's been trained to use the technology since the day they were born.
2: Well, Kim- I was just going to say, but it gets a lot stickier when something goes wrong with the water system and like the water is has any kind of crap in it. Um, like fraud. you can have an outage and it could be terrible, but you could get the disease if you drink water that hasn't been cleaned properly.
0: Right. I think we're somewhat spoiled. I mean, Minnesota, I think has pretty good administration of these sorts of things, but like you go down to Texas where you get, you regularly get these boil water notices and things like that because things aren't working correctly. And, um, and you know, uh, let me, let me just back up for a second to say that when I say this, it's often, um, in, in, Tandem with uh, with the Fort Dodge stats, which I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I think they put 30 million dollars together for uh, building their fiber network, and uh, and I'd asked them like, "Oh, are you worried about like borrowing that much money for for something like this?" And they were like, "No, we just dropped like 200 million dollars on a water treatment plan That is scary, like right. in terms of like like just like the, the, the sheer immensity." And I think Travis, I think to some extent, you might be overlooking like. The regulations that you have to go through and people don't pay, I mean, like when you look at like the Detroit water system and stuff like that, where you, you, you have, you can't just cut people off, you know, you have to go through these whole big processes because it's so essential. And, but and like, you, it's not just a matter of like cutting someone off. You got everybody though. Everybody, yeah, People don't pay their bills. Person, you still got to keep every, serving them in most cases. Most, like, that's people a real do. Issue. most people do. And I think in part because it's, like, also super affordable, and that's one of the issues, is that, like, there's not enough money to, like – like, they're unwilling to raise the rates enough to cover the in- infrastructure investments they have to make. Kim? It's not super We're affordable super, I would like there's to say place-
2: Yes. I think they will shut them off because I didn't know that my credit card expired for my water payment. And I got a notice that said, if you do not pay your water, we will be shutting it off at this day. So I think they do shut it off. No, there think- is a, there is some,
0: there is some mechanism for it, but I think it's much different than what Travis goes through.
2: Oh, that's fair.
0: Doug, you were saying. Uh, I, I'm, there are places where
1: water is very expensive by the way, but uh, I, I'm voting on, I'm voting on water and the long run It's more complicated. Oh, I disagree. But I mean, I think I, I, Travis, I'd, lo- I'd love to be proven wrong.
0: Well, so here's the thing I feel like and I and I, and I don't want anyone to think that like any of us is saying that that one of them is easy. Um, no, but but they're when both I, hard. I've well, had the benefit of going through point, yes. some of these like water systems and I just look at the complexity and Travis like I've toured your systems and to me and maybe it's just because of my unfamiliarity with the science of, of water and everything, but, like, they're going through. It just seems like they have far more, like, PhDs who have to be involved with this process, checking things constantly and like, and the stakes if something goes wrong are so great, Um, you know, and and I think there's something that um that Riot brought up too, which is I think, you know, we think about like, if something goes wrong, maybe I don't have water in my house, or maybe everyone gets cholera, like, you know, like, the reason these systems came about is, is like, is really interesting in the public health implications of getting things wrong on uh, the reservoir. I think that's what Doug was alluding to with that. So...
3: Yep. Thank goodness we have chlorine, right? <laughs> I, again, I'm not saying that it's easy or complicated. It's just, it's maybe it's just different. But yeah, and I know, think but and if I, I, I could have the water department's budget. It's it's a lot easier. See, it all starts with revenue, right? You can find so one
0: hundred percent. Like you can finance anything if you have a if you have a monopoly to an essential service. Like so, that is that it solves the the vast majority of the problems that you have to deal with. I think Travis.
3: And the other thing is, I don't think you get any political pushback on water.
0: Um. I mean, that's where I think that's where I mean, so in in Minneapolis and St. Paul, when like you're there trying to like untangle the sewer and wastewater systems, um, that might be the same thing. But the, you know, the, the overflow from storms and stuff like that, like those costs are so high. I remember conversations about how they can't just raise those prices because people would revolt. Yeah. Um, and
1: there's a lot of cities where water prices are very controversial. So it's not
0: it's just, you happen to live in a place with a
2: lot of water. It, it so but uh, in be part uh,
0: because we price yeah. it super irrationally. I'll talk about that in a second. Go ahead, Kim.
2: I was like, I don't know. Like if we're talking about all these utilities that I'm not really familiar with, but you have like culinary water, you have secondary water. How do you manage all of that that goes into what that means? I mean, and it depends. Salt Lake City only has culinary water, but a lot of them, in other cities around here have secondary. It's, it's a very complicated process that I am not familiar with. But what I wanted to say was that the water industry gets PhDs and the broadband industry gets people who are in band. That is what we, we went on that.
3: Well, and let's not also forget that if the water was that great, there would not be a bottled water industry.
2: No, disagree. No,
3: that's
1: all because of advertising. There you go. I'll leave you with that. Um,
0: (laughs) No, but so I do think it's worth noting, like what Doug was saying with expense, like, you know, the vast majority of the water is is consumed by a small number of people, often industrial or farming usage. And um, we should have increased block pricing of these things. And this will come back to Internet access in a minute, because I think. There are a lot of people who think we should do that with internet access too, and I think that's just totally wrong. Um, but I think that when it comes to nice Ezra, <laughs> we need bottled internet. Um, when uh, it comes to pricing, I feel like if your home uses a relatively small amount of water, you should pay a small amount per usage. And then if you're a home that is using more and more and more, or an industrial use for someone else, you know you're responsible for a larger share of the fixed cost, and you're you should actually pay a greater amount per unit if you're using that much more. And that's something that has generally been resisted. Um, With internet access, there's no real depletion or no real significant additional costs. Um, And so I don't think it makes sense to do that kind of pricing with uh, broadband or internet access. Again, I worked for
1: a water company once and water companies charge the big guys less, not more. And that's that's the shame of it all. Farmers get a break, factories get a break. And that's exactly the opposite what that ought to be. So.
0: Yeah. And I don't think anyone is saying like farmers have it too easy, um, but yeah. it is certainly the case that uh, if it was charged for, especially in areas like Arizona, <laughs> a lot of places out West, if there was a more rational charge, I think we'd see much more investment in proper technology to track it and use it more efficiently. Well, this was, this was episode 77, water. Episode well, 76, I I just want 76. 77 is the
1: air we breathe. Go wow, on, this, is, this is the water one,
3: yes. I would love to own any business where you have 100% of monopoly. That would be awesome.
0: Well, and it does come with regulations that I feel like you would not want to deal with. I mean, that we see with, with electricity well, you know, in the States. And... fancy
3: PhDs, they can deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm not going to deal with it, yeah, but you know, the kids that went to school can.
0: I mean, Travis, how would you so let me ask you this then? If you had would you be interested in running this business if it was super easy to finance, if you knew that every dime that you spent you got six cents back or eight cents back or something like that? Like
3: Well, the thing is you don't in, in our game, it's all about financing. So I'm using from the lens of finance. Yeah, I
0: think you'd be bored in that industry.
3: Well, if if, if 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 capital was if the if the network was built and the capital is easy to come by. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be terribly rewarding, but it sure would be a little, a lot less stressful than trying to build, you know, brand new networks. And the other thing is, I don't know about you, Kim, but when whenever there's a public works project, broadband takes the back seat, right? Mm-hmm. And it's always water and sewer that get the preferential treatment when these things are being built. And what then does preferential
0: treatment mean they get in meaning the like time our, our
3: conduits it. get all pushed out of the way, right? Because they're basically irrelevant. Now we build the, um, the monopolies get to go in and do all their work. And then we have to hurry up in like 24 hours and get our stuff put back together before they overlay. It gets
2: really interesting in road code season here in Utah at this time of year, because they hit something, things go down. They don't know. They're trying to figure out who it is. They hit it's, it's a, it's a definitely interesting, um, situation. I mean, my water and power went out in my neighborhood a few years ago because they hit something trying to um, update the water system, and we were out for about a day and a half. So it is it is very sticky, especially when they're, we're doing that major work that we're seeing.
0: Do you ever have someone hit your conduit and just spray internet all over the place, Travis?
2: <laughs> uh, no, but they uh, sprayed telephone
3: calls on to us, of so very upset customers. <laughs> <You
2: know. laughs> We've sprayed sparks. When somebody hits a pole and it goes down, and then yeah. the electricity uh, likes to go a little wacky, and then it hits the fiber, and then you might get a little bit of a show if you're near it, of what yeah. happened.
3: People are not very happy when their internet goes out, Mr. Mitchell. I'll just let you... That has changed since 1995. A yep. lot. And I, and I will tell you this, in 95 people would go outside and do something else, and okay. they'd wait a few hours. I mean... The explicit Effenheimers that come your way if things are not working are are many and from everybody.
2: We had somebody who had an outage the other day, and we didn't have anybody to go out. It was just a one-person outage, and they had to wait. I think they went out on a Saturday. We came out on a Monday. It turns out because somebody unplugged their ONT inside their house. (laughs) Um, They had an outage all weekend because somebody unplugged it. Oh, and you wow.
0: got a lower rating on uh, Yelp or something oh, yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or,
3: or, and I swear to God, we, we had we had um, an apartment building where somebody's dog was chewing on all the cables and it was taking the, the MDU down. I mean, how many one-star ratings can that MDU give us? It's not my fault the damn dog's chewing the cable, yeah.
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> you got to use less tasty cables. Exactly. Closing story. I had a dog who chewed at
1: the electric feed into the house and that was the last of that dog. So. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> but,
3: but I will say one thing, I will commend people on the, the water. Water works pretty well and I use that as an example of how to run a, a network. Run it like the water department because Kim's the only story I've ever heard where the water didn't come out of the tap. I mean, fifty-three years, of my life, I, water's never not worked.
0: Oh, we've had outages, in my
1: town.
3: At least a dozen really, times in the last I guess decade. I'm kind of spoiled up here in Minnesota. Huh? Yeah, are. I
0: mean that's the thing. You know, we I think we we take this stuff a little bit more seriously than others, and um, usually that works out. Although uh, certainly if you go outside and Travis, if you wanted to come visit me right now, I would recommend bringing one of your four-wheel drive vehicles.
3: <laughs> oh, you know that pothole I've been whining about for five years. They fixed it, <laughs> but nine more just just opened up down the street after last winter. So, anyways, one down, nine new ones to go. So,
0: yeah. So, um, I'll bring uh, my
3: rover over there to your house. You know.
0: So we are still. Uh, we're not exactly sure um, right now. Sean is contemplating whether he would like to host the show in two weeks, or um, or we would wait three weeks. Um, what I would like to do. And, you know, if this really enth- makes anyone enthusiastic, um, I'd like to hear it. But what I would like to do is to have Sean host the show in two weeks. Uh, and I might be able to, to join it um, depending on what the Mountain Connect schedule is and what time we pick. But, um, and then three weeks from now, I want to do a show with Travis And um, a guy who has uh, put together a presentation and talks a lot about the history of LTE, how LTE came about, what problems it was solving, this and that, how it works. And do that as a, like we did the Docsis 4 show back in the day. Um, I'd like to do a a show about the history of LTE and and mobile wireless. And, um, And then have that lead into some show maybe in September with Mike Dano talking about the, the some of the 5G stuff and what we're seeing with the trends and in that. So, um, I thought that would be a, a fun potential path. Um, so, all for it. Excellent. So, um, if people want to, you know, give Sean a phone call or a text to encourage him, that uh, this would be a safe place for him to step up. And, uh, <laughs> and you well, know, I certainly wouldn't want him to be unprofessional. Define safe.
1: Yes. <laughs>
3: So I, I how about that idea we talked about? I, I really like that where we give everybody homework to define what is affordable internet. What's the sure. number? I think that, yeah. that's that is a great question. We have not actually
0: Included. I think I think that's that would be a good idea. I would like to bring on someone from National Digital Inclusion Alliance to talk about that. We yeah. we did talk about this before, and I think Angela Seifer talked about how in in um, in Cleveland, I believe they actually had a um, a community process to find out what people thought was affordable there. Um, and so there have been different approaches to it. Um, I'll be honest in that. To me, it seems a little bit like angels dancing on the head of a pin. But if y'all want to do it, then then we should do it. Yeah, well, I, I, think I like do surveys
1: all the time. time. I do community wide surveys all yeah. the time and people answer ridiculously low numbers because they're hoping that they can influence getting cheaper mm-hmm. broadband. I mean, you get 25 or 30% of the people going broadband should cost $20. Like, no, you know, there's no, you're yeah. not. you're not going to have anything. So, but, but you could I've do never... that. I
0: mean, like, I mean, you know, to be clear, like Am Ammon Idaho's approach, which I understand is not the way we've traditionally built this stuff, but like there are paths to actually having super high quality service that's in that range, mm-hmm. but it's not easy and it's not very replicable. So, yes, it has not been to date. Yes, no. Yes.
3: We need a national definition of broadband affordability, just like
0: we have speed 25, three.
1: Wow, and then that'll be twenty-five dollars. <laughs> will be twenty-five dollars,
0: Travis. Yeah, $25, I actually think they there do. They, they, there is a mechanism, right, Doug? You probably know this better than I do. It has to do with like they survey the base oh, rates. survey they 2. 2. the two point five standard deviations from something. Yeah, and,
1: and those are ridiculously high numbers because they're all the we need some
3: PhDs. Rates. We need some
1: PhDs. But they do. They do survey rates. The FCC does that, and and they're and and the answer is driven by cable rates. So they're they're their average national rate's like 80 bucks. It's like, that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Ezra's point, internet could be free. It could be free for some number of users. I think, I would not encourage that. I think that we benefit from having different entities providing it. I think if internet access was free, it would basically mean it was government provided one way or another. And I am nervous about government having, and in this case, I mean, more like state, federal government having too much power over this. I think we really benefit from Paying and, and making sure the control of it remains decentralized. Um, I think that free access would ne- would necessarily be centralized. Although people could probably talk me out of that. Probably pretty easy, I bet. We're not. We're not going to try. so we have uh kind of uh some different options for the next two weeks so um we will uh alert people on the social medias and website how we go but uh thank you all um you know here we are in the summer uh it's been two years three years something like that we've been doing this probably three years at this point and uh it's been wonderful so uh thank you kim thank you doug thank you travis thank you chris thank you chris Thank you, Rye. Behind the scenes. Thank you, Rye. It all happen, especially during a very, very busy time as we've decided that summer should not be a time where we relax at all for even a minute. Um, hope you all enjoyed the show. We'll be back in either two or three weeks with another episode of Connect This.